0: Today we'll be in the book of Exodus, chapter 3. We're continuing our study of the attributes of God. We learned about the life of Moses beginning in Exodus, chapter 2, when he's born. And how the moment that Moses was born, he had a death sentence on his head. He and all the Hebrew boys who were born under a certain age... Were ordered to be put to death by the Egyptians. The Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. They had gone down to Egypt for protection, for food, for water during a terrible famine, and Joseph had protected and preserved them. But when Joseph died, and the king of Egypt died, and another king arose who did not know Joseph the Israelites began to be enslaved, oppressed by the Egyptians. God preserves Moses rather miraculously in a basket that's pushed down the river, and he is raised in the royal courts of the king of Egypt called Pharaoh. But Moses never forgot who he truly was. He was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. And when he was 40 years of age, we're told that he saw an Egyptian beating another Israelite. Moses killed that Egyptian thinking he was helping his people. But all that resulted in was Moses having to flee for his life. Forty years of age, he leaves what had been his home. He goes to a place called Midian, and there he meets the family of a man named Jethro. He ends up marrying one of Jethro's daughters, and then Moses spends the next 40 years of his life tending his father-in-law's sheep and goats. I don't think Moses thought his life was going to turn out like this. but We come to Exodus 3, and we find the rest of the story about the life of Moses. He's now 80 years old. And we're told that he's taken his father-in-law's flock to the far side of the desert. Specifically, they've come to Mount Horeb, known as the Mountain of God. And there, the angel of the Lord appears to Moses. But the angel appears in the form of a bush that was on fire, but it was not being consumed. When Moses saw this bush not burning up, he was intrigued by it, and he went to check it out. When the Lord saw that Moses was drawing near, the Lord spoke to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, to which Moses said, here I am. The Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing on is holy ground. The Lord continued, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Moses was afraid to look at the face of God, so he hid his own face. The Lord continued, I have seen the misery of my people. In Egypt, I've heard them crying out in their slavery, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down. I've come down to rescue them from the hand of Egypt and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses, I'm sending you to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this is how you'll know that I am with you, is when you bring the Israelites out of Egypt, you will worship God here at this mountain. But then Moses said, suppose I go to the Israelites and they say to me, and I say to them, the God of your fathers is sending me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said, I am who I am. Tell the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. That's a summary of Exodus chapter 3. When we read through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, we find that our multifaceted God and all of his attributes, that God has multiple names. And God could have used any of his names when Moses asked him, if they ask me to tell them your name, what shall I tell them? God could have said Jehovah-Jireh. God could have said El Shaddai. El Elon, El Rohi, any name of God. Yet God said, I am who I am, Yahweh, Jehovah, the very covenant name of God. In the Bible, a person's name is incredibly important. A person's name means something. Now, our names are important today. You're called by your name, and that you feel good when somebody knows your name and calls your name and Sometimes you're called by name, by a parent. You're like, oh no, I'm in trouble, right? And so our names are simply who we are. But in the Bible especially, a person's name is so intertwined with their character and often the very destiny of their life we had an exercise that i got to do this last year i'm in a a cohort group of other pastors it's called next step leader and our leader is actually in ohio he's a uh, retired church planter. They've planted seven or eight churches from their mother church. Wonderful guy named Rick Duncan. And he's got about this past cohort group. We started out with seven or eight pastors. Now it's down to about three, but I'm sticking through it. And in our first seven week together, we actually um, are, we always watch videos of two guys that are well-known authors and speakers, Will Mancini and Dave Rhodes. And they're talking about the power of a person's name. In fact, Will and Dave uh, challenged us to do a name exercise to actually go back and discover the meaning of your first, middle, and last name. Will and Dave in the video say that of all the people they take through this exercise, about 7 out of 10 of them, their names really mean something very significant for the very scope and direction of their lives. About 3 out of 10, eh. Kind of hard to see how the name relates. And you would actually expect that, I think, in our American society. In fact, I would expect that for me because the only reason I can think of that my parents named me what they named me was because my name started with C. I'm serious. There's five of us, five boys, Chasen, Cade, Kaylee, Caleb, and Canaan. I'll start with C. My parents chose Cade because it wasn't the four other names, and it started with C. They had no idea what that name meant, and neither did I. So I researched it. You know what Cade means? It's multifaceted. Cade means round and lumpy. <laughs> it also means strong, gentle, inoffensive, and harmless okay listen what when I was in first grade there's a picture and I'm on one side of the class and Brad James is on the other side of the class just kind of imagine these kids up here we would have towered over these kids both in height and in roundness and lumpiness we were big I was a big I wore husky clothes I was a big kid Every time we'd have youth sports, folks would come to the coach and say, how old is that Ferris boy? How old is he? He's too old. And I, my mom's like, I've got his purse ticket in my purse. I keep it in the purse because I'm tired of all this talk during youth sports because I was just so big. All right, I was round. I was lumpy. I was tall. I was big. All right. So, But if you know me, I'm pretty gentle, too. I've got a tender heart. And so on football in high school, the nickname for me was Pillsbury Doughboy, all right? So I was kind of round and lumpy, but also kind of a gentle giant. So it's, I mean, I'm like blown away that this name means all this, but also it means a strong person, all right? So Hunter is my middle name. My dad knew a guy named James Hunter Manasco, and he liked that name, so that's my middle name. But that's very appropriate because I'm competitive. You can ask my two kids who are here. I like to win. I like to capture, outwit, outsmart, hunt. All right? Ferris, what does that mean? It means iron strong rock. All right? So there's another story about me when I was a little bitty guy. My brother Chasen was watching television. There goes the microphone, sorry. And then I'm, the story goes that Cade, as a little boy, was mad at his brother, and then I picked up a heavy coffee table and threw it at him. So I wasn't very gentle apparently there, um, but it didn't hurt him. You know, he got out of the way, so I, they called me Bam Bam when I was a kid. From the Flintstones, you know, the little Bam Bam was so strong. So, uh, so strength's been a part of my life for a long time. But when this idea of iron strong rock, what Maybe made me think about this was in high school football we're sitting around my senior year we're done we're getting close to finish our season we played for a state championship and lost when I was a sophomore we lost in the semifinals as a senior we were a great football team and I got to play defense linebacker for that team but one of the one of the conversations we had among the guys on our team was who's the hardest hitter who can hit the hardest everybody says Corey Bean, no doubt, Corey Bean played strong side linebacker. I was a weak side linebacker. He could pop people. Nobody wanted to hit Corey. But then somebody said, you know what? Corey's the hardest hitter, but I do not like to ever have to hit Cade because hitting Cade is like hitting a brick wall. I was like, hmm, yeah. You know? Anyway, <laughs> um, There are plenty of people stronger than me rounder than me, lumpier than me, better hunters than me, but I was just blown away. I'm one of those seven out of tens like, oh my goodness, Cade Hunter Ferris describes like who I am and everything about me. It was wild. If my human name matters that much how much more does god's name matter about who he is because when we know the names of god we learn the character of god and if we learn the character of god we then discover the attributes of god so today we're going to unpack that name i am three truths for you today number one I am means that God is self-existent and not dependent on anything else. Nobody wants to be dependent. We all want to be independent. But we know children depend upon their parents. If you're struggling to walk around, you may have to use a cane. You depend upon that cane to walk. Nobody wants to depend on anything. We all want to be independent. God is not dependent on anything or anyone else. But in saying that God is not dependent, God is so much more than independent because we can be independent, but we still depend upon a lot of things to survive. We've got to have oxygen. We've got to have food, water. We've got to have sleep. We, we're not Perfectly self-sufficient by ourselves. God made us to live in relationship with others. But God is beyond independent. God is completely self-sufficient. And God shows us this in Exodus 3. With the way that the angel of the Lord, the way the Lord appeared to Moses. What do you know about fire? It's got to have fuel, right? But this bush is burning, but the fire is not consuming the wood. What does that mean? It means that God can burn his fire without the need of wood. He is forever self-sufficient, self-existent. That is part of who God is. John Piper said it this way back in a sermon he preached in 1984. We've got the quote on the screen. He says, Yahweh is the God who exists, whose personality and power is owing solely to himself, from whom all power and energy in the universe flows. That's why Paul said, if you missed last week's sermon from Romans 11, for from him and through him, And to him are all things. To him be glory forevermore. Amen. This is our God. I am self existent, self sufficient, does not need anything or anyone else. God doesn't need to sleep. God doesn't need to eat. God doesn't need to drink. God doesn't need the universe to give him purpose, meaning, or fulfillment. God didn't make us because he was lonely. God, a person may say, well, I don't believe God exists. God does not need a person's affirmation of his existence in order for God to be God. God is who God is, regardless of what we say about him. Now, it matters for us what we believe about God, life or death. But God's pure existence does not depend on any mortal person's assessment of him. He is fully Self-existent, self-sufficient, self-contained for all eternity past. It's been Father, Son, Spirit. It's Father, Son, Spirit now. And it's Father, Son, Spirit for all eternity. This is our God. I am who I am. One scripture to kind of show you this. Isaiah 40. If you want a chapter of the majesty and the scope of... Of all that God is, read Isaiah 40. But at near the end of the chapter, he says this in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You keep reading that passage. Those who wait upon the Lord, He shall renew their strength. He gives strength to those who are tired and weary. We're dependent. We're tired. we got to go to the one who has all strength for all eternity. This is our God. I am who I am. Secondly, I am means that God is eternally present with his creation. I am means that God is eternally present with his creation. Now, all you grammar people, get excited. I was not a grammar person in school, but all you grammar folks, we're going to talk about verbs. We're going to conjugate verbs, right? There's past tense of the verb, present tense of the verb, and future tense of the verb. Let me illustrate from my own life. I was born at Eliza Coffee Memorial Hospital in Florence, Alabama on April the 7th, 1977. I was born Today, 44 years later, I am living in LaGrange, Georgia, and in this very moment, I am preaching this message. Later today, I will be traveling to Nashville, Tennessee, for a missions conference and for the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention, which occurs on Tuesday and Wednesday. I was born... I'm right here with you, and I will be traveling. All three tenses of the verb. The Bible talks about God this way as well. Look at your Bible's Revelation, chapter 4. Our God. We're given a snapshot of God, a portrait, a picture of heaven. What's taking place, what's being said, what's being done around the throne of God. John has a front seat view of it. This is what John tells us in verse 8. All and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within all day and night and never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. By the way, that attribute of God, His holiness, there'll be a whole sermon on that later this summer. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Past present, future. God was, is, and will be. God was, is, and is to come. Yet in our passage, he doesn't choose to disclose this about himself. He chooses to say, not I was the God of your fathers, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, but I am. This idea of in the very Hebrew word of the eternally present God, in this tense that's beyond the present, but that God is eternally God. We see this in the Hebrew from Exodus 3. Go back to Exodus 3. Let's recap the questions that Moses asked God and the answer that God gives Moses. Look at verse 11. Moses said to God, "Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt?" He said, "But I will be with you." "Who am I?" "I will be with you." All right? Exodus 3:13. Second question. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Two questions. Who am I? I will be with you. What is your name? If they ask me, (laughs) I am who I am. We've got a a quote I want to show you from the ESV study Bible, footnotes. We don't see this in English, but it's clear in the Hebrew. The word translated I am can also be understood and translated as I will be. Given the context of Exodus 3.12, I will be with you. The name of Yahweh is also a clear reminder of God's promises to his people and of his help for them to fulfill their calling. Moses was having a crisis of faith. He'd lost faith in who he was, and he was having a crisis of trust in God. But God, in saying to him, I will be with you, when God says, I am, he is saying, I will be with you. I am eternally present with you. Which Jesus says, never will I leave you or forsake you, the Bible says. I'll be with you always until the end of the age, Jesus says. I am means I will be. You know, Moses is being set up by God. God often sets us up, doesn't he? Because Moses was so focused on his inability to fulfill the call. Moses clearly had gone off track. He tried to save his people and, and had to leave, and now he's a full-time shepherd, and he's an old man. And he is not ready to fulfill his call. He thinks he's not ready, but God says, you're going. Read chapter 4. He gives excuses. He finally says, God send somebody else. God doesn't take no for an answer. God says, you're going. Your brother Aaron's Already on the way, he's going to meet you. You're going. Don't forget what God said to Moses. He says this. He says, I have come down, and I will bring Israel out of Egypt. I will lead them into the promised land. But Moses, you go. In other words, you go and you be my hands. You be my feet. Our God, as we'll learn this summer, is unchangeable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not changed. And just as Moses is the hands and feet of God, you are the hands and feet of Jesus. If you think, I can't do it, I don't have what it takes, God does. He says, I am. I will be with you. I will accomplish my purposes through your life. God just wants you to be willing to let him use you. Just be a glove. That God just puts his hands into that he might use you to touch this world for Jesus. I am means that our God is eternally self-sufficient, self-existent, not dependent on anything or anyone. I am means that the Lord God is eternally present with his creation. But third and finally, I am means that Jesus is and offers us all that we could ever need. Go to John 8. Jesus is and offers us all that we could ever need. We come to John chapter 8, and Jesus actually ties this name of God back to himself. Jesus is having a not-so-friendly discussion with some Jewish people. And they're talking about fathers and origin of, of life. And Jesus says to these Jewish people, he says, you are following the advice of your father. And they say to him, our father is Abraham. Father Abraham, right? How many sons? They, they're good, orthodox Jewish men. Our father is Abraham. Jesus says, here goes the discussion. It's about to ratchet up. It's about to get hot. Jesus says, if you were the children of Abraham, you would do what he did. Instead, you're trying to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. Abraham didn't do such things. You're doing the works of your father. And here it goes. They say, we aren't illegitimate children. In other words... We know your history, Jesus. We know Joseph's not your real biological father. Then they say, God himself is our father. Jesus says, if God was your father, you would love me because I've come from God. You're children of your father, the devil. Anybody who says that Jesus Christ is always nice has not read the Bible. He's not being nice. He says, your father's the devil. You had the same desires as your father. You want to do the things that he does. Then he says, anyone who belongs to God gladly listens to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. I mean, for... <laughs> For Jesus to say to Jewish people, you don't belong to God. I mean, this is, this is getting out of hand. This is, this, is, this is getting really to the point of blows and a fight. The Jewish people then accuse Jesus of being a Samaritan. They're basically saying, your mom Mary, your dad was a Gentile. So Jew, Gentile, mixed together, you're a half breed samaritan and you're demon possessed jesus says i'm not demon possessed he says i tell you the truth anyone who obeys my teaching will never die then they say ah now we know that you've got a demon even abraham and the prophets died but you say anybody who obeys my teaching will never die are you greater than our father abraham he died and so did the prophets who do you think you are jesus Jesus says, if I glorify glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, he is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not know him, I'd be a liar just like all of you. But I do know him, and I obey his word your father Abraham, Jesus says, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jewish people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Abraham, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. And they're not about to have more conversation. The Jewish people picked up stones to kill him because he had just blasphemed the most holy, covenant name of God by declaring, I am. Jesus declared, I am the self-existent, the self-sufficient, the eternally present God. Abraham saw my day. He saw me. He saw me leave the glories of heaven. He saw it. He was glad. I'm greater than Abraham. I'm greater than your little theological system that you have as Jews. I'm greater than all of that. I am that I am. Jesus is such a wonderful person. Jesus, God knows how difficult it is for our little puny brains to figure out all the attributes of God. So God made it really simple for us. He says, I will come in the person of Jesus. God the Son comes and takes on human flesh that He then might reveal to us who God is so that we can be in relationship with God for the rest of our lives because of what Jesus did for us on the cross through His resurrection. Jesus is I Am. He is all that we will ever need and He should be all that we should really want is Jesus. John 1.18, I'll close with this scripture. In John 1.14, John says, And the Word, that's Jesus, became flesh. In other words, Jesus became a human being. He dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. But then he says this in verse 18. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So we're talking about Father God. We're also talking about somebody who's at His side. He, a person, making the Father known. Is this the Holy Spirit? Well, no, it's actually Jesus. Because context of John 1 is the Word becoming flesh, Jesus. With God was God. Jesus makes God the Father known to us. If you want to know who God is, start with Jesus, stick to Jesus. Follow Jesus and as you come to know Jesus and gather together and worship him and then connect yourself in community and grow as his disciple in a small group just as Jesus had his disciples and then you will go and share the message of Jesus being the hands and feet of I am who is eternally present with you to touch and change this world through his gospel. Father, we pray right now that we, would turn our eyes upon Jesus. God, no one's ever seen your face and lived. But God, there were hundreds of people who saw the face of Jesus And you gave them life. And today, when we look upon the face of Jesus, we see God and all that he is. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for the spirit who is here. Thank you, God, for the word, the truth that you are eternally present with us. I am and I will be. Thank you, God, that no That you don't depend on anyone else. God, if you depend on someone else, I want to go to that someone else and bow down to it. But God, there's no one else but you. So we turn our hearts to you, God, the self-existent, the self-sufficient, the eternally present. And Jesus, you told us, I am. And we bow before you. Use us, God. Use us, I pray. To fulfill your calling. You had a call for Moses. You have a call for us. Our names mean something to you, God. You love us. You are sending us forth, God. Let us go forth as your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing marvelous old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Oh, how many times have I been... Confused, struggling, needing answers, hurting, apathetic, undisciplined. And looked at the face of Jesus through his word. And I've been brought back, centered, brought back to where I need to be. Today, let us turn our eyes on Jesus. It's always about him. He's all that we need. He's all that we will be about as we give glory to God forever in heaven one day. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Today we take in new members. We've had visitors today in all of our services so far. So glad you're here. We take in new members. If you want to join this church, you come forward. I'll talk to you about that. We'll start the process. We also take in folks who say yes to baptism, yes to salvation, or just yes to prayer, or if your heart's just kind of pounding, then God's telling you you need to come forward. And God will take care of the rest, I promise. Let's worship Him right now. We're going to sing all three verses. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let's look at Jesus Christ together right now. and Ask Him to change us. And make us be all that He wants us to be as His church.